we've been actually trying to figure out how to do a worship night uh, with our new venue. And what we've decided to do instead is on July 11th, it's a Sunday. We're actually going to do worship night on Sunday morning. So our service is going to be a worship and healing service, July 11th. It's going to be an incredible time just to lift up God, to worship Him. And we're going to be trusting God for some miraculous healing uh, in our service. And so if you know somebody who needs to be healed, you know some family member who needs to come to that, somebody who's struggling with addiction, we're going to be trusting God to do some powerful things as we worship Him together. So note that down, and it's going to be coming soon. Actually, what we want to do is 11th to 13th, Sunday's the 13th. But we've got a few friends of ours who are going to be coming from, I think, six different churches in the U.S. and Europe. And we're going to be learning with them how to, to trust God for miraculous healing. And some of them are from Belgium, some of them from France, and some of them from, I think, uh, from the U.S. as well. And so we're going to be doing that. And on Saturday, we'll actually have a seminar, uh, a prayer and healing seminar. I'm giving you heads up. You're the first people to hear about this. So just note it down because you might want to, uh, to plan to be there. Next weekend, I think we're going to give you some details uh, about this event. So it's going to be fun. We're going to really have a good time. So let me ask a question. You really struggled, didn't you, with your gadgets? Why are these gadgets so important? What is it that this thing does for you that makes your life so much easier than when you didn't have it? What are three things that your phone does for you that make your life so easy? Just turn to your neighbor. Just show you three things that this little thing for you, does for you that just make your life feel so, it just, it makes your life easy. Convenience, whatever it is. My goodness, these are three things I do with my phone that I'm so happy that my phone is here for me to do with. Just three things. These phones are amazing, aren't they? There's so many little things that people do, do with their gadgets. Okay, how many of you said basically what phones are for? I communicate so much better because I have a phone. Let me just see show of hands. My phone has helped me communicate a lot more with the people I need to communicate with. Quite a few of you, some of you, you use WhatsApp to keep up with your relatives from other countries and all that kind of thing. So the phone has been useful for communication. How many people say, I manage my schedule on my phone. You know, it helps me with my schedule. There's quite a few of you who would say that, isn't it? How many of you use it to, to manage your schedule? Let me just see, show of hands. Yeah, quite a lot of us. You know, before, you, every company used to print those big, what are they called, diaries. Uh, and my daughter saw one the other day, and she was like, what's this for? I mean, <laughs> it's like nobody ever uses those anymore uh, because people use their phones to do that. How many of you people use, use it to check the weather? How many people use their phone to check the weather? That's not such a big deal here, but quite a few people nowadays, it's a fashion thing. You want to see what to wear. Is it going to rain? Uh, is it not going to rain? And you check your weather app, and it tells you how to do that. That's an amazing thing about the phone. How many people use the phone to manage your email? Let me just see. Show of hands. Yeah, there's quite a few of you. This is the, your primary gadget. You write your emails. I always see those uh, little things at the end of your email sent from my whatever phone it is. Uh, people use that. It's a status symbol, I think, isn't it? Sent from my... X phone, whatever it is. You just want to show guys you have a nice phone. And then how many people use it to know the time? I mean, <laughs> it's like back in the day, a watch was the ultimate thing. Everybody had a watch, isn't it? And nowadays when you have a watch, it's a status symbol. Because, I mean, everybody looks at the time on their phone. That's what we use these gadgets for. This, these things are so useful. 
And maybe that's why we struggle so hard when we think about uh, uh, shutting them off or doing without them. I had, this week, I'd asked you to write on the blog and uh, for our visitors, every week after the message, we go online and we just respond to the sermon. We go on our blog, it's www.mavunochurch.org and we respond on the blog. And by the way, if you have a phone and you want to use it on the service, don't worry, you can actually use it. Uh, use it to tweet the sermon. We do that as well at Mavuno Church. Why? Because we have many friends and relatives who would never come to church, and so we use it to share the message. But I read an amazing, amazing blog uh, from one of the people who wrote this week, and I wanted to share it with you. The person's name was Jerry. They spell it with a, dub, a double R-Y at the end. So I, but I guess it's a girl anyway, just because of the, the way it sounds. And Jerry wrote this. Listen to her, 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 her message. says, Hi, Jerry. What's up? Long, unusual, non-response. Two minutes. That's long, unusual. <laughs> Jerry, you okay? Another one minute without my response. Capital letters. Jerry, are you dead or what? <laughs> After one more minute. <laughs> this is a sneak preview of my WhatsApp page. Let me sum it up for you. To my peers, four minutes offline can only mean I'm dead. And, they, and they're right to ask me because certainly even in the morgue, chances are I will be with my phone in my hands. How not? And I thought at least I had my life in my hands. It turned out not. Because first of all, I'm not addicted to my phone. Addiction, as big as it is, is an understatement. My phone is my life. I have sold my soul to the gadget. Switch off at 6 p.m., Pastor M, for real? I said that aloud in the congregation. In fact, the lady next to me can tell you that's what I said. You must be joking, I thought. But I said to myself, I'll not be a hearer. I'm also a doer of God's word. So let's do this. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, today is Wednesday, and I'm shaking. Just not knowing what's up. <laughs> no SMS, 6 to 6, no 9 p.m. news, no late-night Brazil match, no office emails at midnight. Someone sent me a request at 1 a.m. on Monday night and sent me a reminder at 3 a.m. Let's just leave this whole story here and say this very humbly. I've had a reflective week. I've felt like I'm in a concentration camp, but my two sons are thrilled to have me home by 6 p.m. Hallelujah. On Monday night after 6 p.m., the oldest son asked me if I'd come to pick something and go back to the office. <laughs> because it's unusual for them to see me before dark. Someone please hug Pastor M for me for saving my family. Three hugs in total, two from my sons. I've intentionally put the sleep struggle last, hoping you don't read it this far. I read it. <laughs> Bed by 9 p.m., fully awake by midnight. <laughs> Reading the Bible, worship music, nothing working until 4 a.m. I'm doing this cold turkey, so help me God. I'm an angry, just-discovered TikTok addict, caught in the act, determined to recover and to learn to unplug in order to know how to win. With mixed emotions, Jerry. What an amazing lesson. Wow. I was so blessed by that, um, by that sharing, just the realness. And I, we, we are a real church. And I love it when people just share their heart and what they're struggling with. Jerry, I'm so glad you're part of this church. And if you're here, I just want to say you're in the right place. And God will give you sleep. You know this thing, I mean, it, it takes time. If you've not been doing it, you're so used to the gadget being on. 
you hardly sleep. Uh, it takes time to actually build a habit. They say it takes 21 days to build a habit. And so I want to challenge those of you who started this week and you find there's some traction. Don't give up. Could we continue the challenge for about 21 days? That means you have another 11 days. Don't worry, the World Cup final won't have reached by then. Uh, so I just want to throw that out to you for those of you who really are saying, I want to be serious. I don't just want to go back to the rat race where I was. I want to actually see a difference. And just to challenge you to do that. And thank you for Jerry. Let me just, uh, let's appreciate Jerry for sharing and all the rest who shared. You know, the interesting thing is decades ago, when, science, when, when, when people thought, when, when people who are philosophers and futurists, when they looked at the inventions that were being created, the amazing things that we, people were making, they looked forward to a future of leisure and ease. This is what they predicted the world would become like. I read about this uh, uh, Senate committee hearing in the US where some people were testifying and talking about what the future would look like because of technology. And they predicted that by, 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 the, by the year 2000, Americans would have their, their, their robots, their, their technology, their gadgets doing all their work for them. And they'd have too much time on their hands. They wouldn't even know what to do themselves. In fact, one philosopher called uh, George Bernard Shaw, he predicted that people would be working two hours a week. And the biggest problem people in the 21st century would have is they wouldn't know what to do because the gadgets did everything for them. Now, it's interesting when you look at predictions of people in the past talking about how our lives would be. And you can see some things they said were right, some were very wrong. The thing that they say that I agree with, of course, is that progress has occurred. And we have gadgets today that were unimaginable then. I mean, can you imagine life without a toaster, a microwave? I mean, that would be harsh, isn't it? Imagine life before the phone, uh, when, when we didn't have the, the, the cell phone. I, do any of you remember queuing up at a phone booth? Some of you are looking at me like, what's this old guy talking about? What is that? But I mean, we actually used to go to phone booths, and then you find seven guys, and you're like, oh my gosh. And then you're hoping the guy you're calling is at the booth waiting for you to call. I mean, life used to be harsh. I mean, this was how life used to be. And then those days, remember the phones? Some of you, are, you, you had a phone at home. You're fortunate enough. You had one of the 150,000 phones in Kenya uh, inside your house. And you used, when your parents were gone, what did you used to do to make calls? The ones who are not smiling are either very old or very young because you don't remember any of this stuff. But I mean, this is how life used to be. I don't know if you remember the days before the internet, before email, before phones. I mean, I still remember, I still remember the first time I saw a scanner working. And this guy took a picture of my girlfriend then because I was out of the country. He told me, give me a picture of your girlfriend. And he put it on a machine and he closed the box and then he pressed a button. Then I saw the picture of her appearing in the computer. I said, hiya, Shindwe. <laughs> What is, it, what is she doing inside there? I mean, it was, and by the way, I was, this was just the other day. I mean, life has become so simple nowadays. And we've got machines that are doing incredible things. And life has actually become very simple because we've got machines that people could not even have imagined 10 years ago. But the interesting thing and the paradoxical thing, and the place where I think all the philosophers were completely wrong, is that this technology has not made our life easier, slower, or more relaxed. In fact, the same Americans who are being talked about in this technology have been shown to be the most stressed, the most overworked people, and the most under-vacationed people in the whole of history. I mean, this is amazing because that's one country of people who are really rushing all the time, living to work, never enjoying the, the, the results of their labor. 
And the amazing thing is we Kenyans are running fast after them trying to catch up with their lifestyle, isn't it? I mean, all of us are excited about the 24-hour economy. Very exciting, isn't it? I mean, we don't want to sleep. We want our, our businesses to be on all the time. We want to work all the time. We want to be always awake. I mean, this is irony that instead of technology bringing ease, it actually brought overwork and overloading. You see, the biggest problem for us today is we're living overstretched lives. We're living overextended lives. When it comes to time, <laughs> our schedules are so packed that we barely have time. Have you ever met somebody and said, hey, we must have coffee? <laughs> you know, your old schoolmate. It's like, maze, we must do coffee. And you know you'll never have time for coffee for that guy. It's just a polite thing we say. We are overextended. Uh, when it comes to our finances, we are overextended as well. We're living on the margin. We have no, we have no space. Uh, we're, we're, living, we're, we're so excited when the end of the month comes because we're just living from hand to mouth. Many of us, this is how we live. When it comes to our energy, we spend everything we have in our workplace. By the time you get home, you don't even want to see your children. You have no energy left. We're living over extended lives. And the sad thing for us as a generation is we've come to see this as normal. You see, the message in our culture is that this is how everybody else lives. This is what is regular and ordinary for everybody. And so we don't even know that there's something wrong with this state. The message of our culture is you only live once. Live it to the full. Be all you can be. Just do it. And this is how we live. Many of us, our lives are like rubber bands. We are stretched to the limit. And just a little more pressure, and we're going to snap just like that. Now, this is a problem for us, and this is why we've been talking about. You know, we've been saying the, the thing is, we've become so extended, we've become so rushed, and unfortunately, all this rush and overextension has many problems that comes with it. We've seen the problem of the fact that it makes us unattractive. The fact that it's infectious and we're infecting our children and the next generation. We've seen that it robs us of our joy. It destroys our relationships. But one of the things that I find most, <laughs> it's almost ironic, is that it actually makes us less effective. You know, you don't, you don't think that way. You almost think people who are rushing, people who are busy all the time are the most effective. But there's something called the, the law of diminishing returns. There's a part of busyness where you get to where you actually become ineffective. And what you're known for is activity. In fact, this is the thing I find in many workplaces. People are busy, but it's almost like you're on a treadmill. You're going nowhere, but you're really working up a sweat. And your life is so busy, but there are no results. Your finances are not changing. You're not moving ahead, but you're busy, 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 because our career, our, 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 our world almost seems to reward busyness. And this is why we're doing a series on this topic. Next week, we're going to be talking about burnout. And it's one of those things that I think our generation is facing burnout on unprecedented scales. I want to, make you, to ask you, come and bring somebody that you know from your workplace. I think people need to hear this message. We're going to be talking about that next week. We've been going through this series because we're saying, you know what, it's so important for us to achieve the things that we were created for. Jesus created us to win. You know, it's so amazing when I look at Jesus. He got to the end of his life. And you know what he said? What did Jesus say at the cross just before he died? He said, it is finished. He had done his work. He had run his race. He had done what God created him for. He was ready to go. Now the problem for many of us, when we get to the end of our lives, what are we going to say? I am finished. <laughs> you're not going because you finished what God put you here for. You're going because you're finished. And there's nothing left. And diseases have killed you. 
and stress has destroyed you. And we're saying as a generation, this is not your portion. Tell your neighbor, this is not your portion. You are not created for this. You're created for better. You're created to win. And that's what this series is about. For our visitors, we've been going through this series. We've looked at different principles. You can actually get a, a, a CD. If you're, not, if you're a visitor and you've not been able to come to any one of these sermons, the CDs are actually ready from, from the last few weeks, uh, the winning CDs. You can actually order one from after, uh, outside, or you can actually even go online to our, our website, www.mavunochurch.org, and download uh, any of these sermons. Uh, and you'll be able to, we, we even put the transcript there if you prefer to read it. So you can catch up with the things we've been learning. We've been talking about the fact that there are several principles that help us win. First week, we looked at the Genesis principle. We looked at the fact that God is the best model for us about how to live our lives in a way that helps us win. The first thing he does with, his, with the Genesis principle, he separates and organizes the chaos. Many of us are living chaotic lives, and we must separate and organize and determine what is important and what is merely activity. We must establish rhythms in our lives, and we must respect lights out. This is what God did, and we're saying this is how we become effective. Next week, we looked at the boundary principle, and we said, listen, look at the, the, the nature of creation. God created boundaries that protect the things that cannot be harmed. And we said in our own lives, we must put boundaries around the things that are the most important things, because it's so easy to be chasing the things that are not important, chasing things that only vanish when we get them and leaving and destroying the things that are the most important, our marriages, our children, and such like things, our faith, and so on. The boundary principle. Last week, we looked at the unplug principle. We learned from Jesus. And the amazing thing about Jesus is he stopped work, not because work was finished, but because it was time for him to stop work. He unplugged. And this is what we were talking about last week. And we came up with the unplug uh, challenge that many of you uh, had, a ch had, a, had, had some time uh, trying to apply this week. Now, this week, we wanted to, to change tack and learn from a political leader. Uh, this political leader was a wise man. He was a wealthy businessman. He was a prolific author. He was a famous philosopher. He wrote many books. And the reason he wrote his books is because he wanted to, he, he, he cared for the next generation. He wanted young leaders to understand how to succeed and not to fail in life. And because of that, he's a great person for us to learn from as we talk about uh, this, this, as we go through this winning series. Turn with me to the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 11. It's a book with a long name. Ecclesiastes, and was written, of course, by King Solomon. And I'm going to read Ecclesiastes, chapter 11, from verse 1 to 2. And it's a short, a short passage, but it's loaded with wisdom, just like every other writing that this man Solomon did. It's a short passage, but it's loaded with God's wisdom. Ecclesiastes, chapter, 12, uh, chapter 11, verse 1 to 2. And this is what it says. It says, Ship your grain across the sea. After many days, you will receive a return. Invest in seven ventures. Yes, in eight. You do not know what disaster may come upon the land. Father, I thank you for your people today. This afternoon as we come to your word, I pray that, Lord, you would speak to us. These books that we're, this book we've, writ, writ, uh, we've read is called a wisdom book. And, Lord, I pray that you would give us wisdom today. Lord, wisdom is not just knowledge, but it's application, the godly application of that knowledge. And I call wisdom upon your people today as we listen to your word. Lord, I pray, give us the wisdom to see into the matrix of our lives and to understand the truth as you see it and to live in such a distinct way 
that our lives become attractive to the people around us and give you glory. Lord, I resist every power, every, every power that is opposed to your people receiving this word in Jesus' name. And I pray that you'd give us the diligence not just to be hearers, but doers of God's word. For it's in Jesus' name we pray and God's people say, Amen. Now, <laughs> the context of this passage, it's actually finance. As Solomon is actually teaching young leaders how to manage their finances well. And we've talked about finances many times in this church. One of the things I've taught you before is that the best investment manual, the best book about finances is actually the Bible. Uh, it teaches us some incredible principles uh, that would really help us to prosper. And this is one of them. He teaches a, a really amazing principle to these young people uh, about finances. I think it's, about fi it's, it's not just about finances. I believe you can apply to any resource that God has given us to achieve our vision. And basically what he's saying is this, that if you don't invest, you can't expect a return. No seed, no harvest. And so he says, invest widely. This is what he says here. He says, ship your grain across the seas. Invest widely. Don't just play it safe when it comes to money. You must take some risks. You must invest. In another version, it says, cast your bread upon the waters. Because investment almost feels like you're throwing away money. You're putting it somewhere, you don't see it. It's like you're giving it up. But he says, you must do this. Because this is what it takes for you to really prosper. But then he also says something interesting. And this, I think, is what the point for me is. When we come back to, when, when we do a money series, we can learn a bit more about that passage. Because that's a very important phrase that right there. That's a very important principle. But I want to move on to the next thing he says. Because he says, after that, that you must divide your investment into seven portions. He says, invest in seven ventures. Why does he use the word seven? Because there are seven days in a week. And what he's teaching here is how to diversify your investments. He's saying you must separate your investments and have enough of them. Don't just invest everything in one thing in that way. And he's saying diversify investments. But then he says something interesting. After mentioning seven, the number of days in a week, he doesn't stop there. He says, seven, yes, eight portions. He's saying this. This is the thing that he's saying here. Don't just have enough for every day of the week. Invest so that you've got an extra eighth portion because disaster may come and destroy the things you've invested in. And you need to have a reserve. This is what he's saying. You need some margin in your life. He's saying that you need to put aside something for the day when the unexpected happens. And what saves you is you had a little something on the side, some margins that kept you from going under. You know, many times as Christians in business, we believe, um, of course, I'm under the protection of God. God gave me this idea. It has to succeed. And so we don't, we don't actually leave any room that something could happen that we're not planning for. But God is saying that is not faith. That's foolishness. I gave you a mind. You have the mind of Christ. Use it. Think through and understand things could happen that are outside your control. And when those things happen, you need to be prepared for them. And this principle is what I'm calling today the margin principle. Today we're learning the margin principle. Now what is margin? Margin is that space between the load and the limit. That's how I define it. The load and the limit. What's the load? The load is what you're carrying. Your responsibilities, your relationships, the things that your, your office, the, ro the roles you're responsible for, you're a parent, all those things are your load. What is your limit? Your limit is your breaking point. So your load is what you have, 
your limit is what? If you carry this, you will break. And the margin is what's in between. Let me use a, a better illustration so you understand it. Many of you who drive or have driven in a car, you've seen that in the dashboard, there's a dial, the fuel gauge. And on the fuel gauge, there's a little letter, E. What does E stand for? Just say it loudly. You know, I'm saying say it loudly because not everybody knows. In this country, some people think E stands for enough. <laughs> Have you ever seen that? I mean, guys, I mean, when you try and take a taxi and you see what the guy does, the first thing he does, he has just enough to get him to the petrol station. And then you pay for the fuel. And some guys have become such experts at driving on enough that they switch off their car at the, at the top of the hill. And then it cruises. They've just learned to live on the edge. Now, E does not stand. Let me just educate you today. E does not stand for enough. It stands for empty. And what that is saying is, you know why people get confused is because I get to E and I can still go. Isn't it? So people at some point, some wise person said, it can't be empty. The car is still going. But actually, that's not the, the reality. Your car is actually empty, but it has a reserve tank. And the work of the reserve tank is to take you to the petrol station. That's what it's there for, not for any other work. And when you get to the petrol station, you avoid a calamity. Because if you ignore that E sign and the flashing light, what might happen is you might find yourself embarrassed or even in danger when your car stalls on the highway. I want to say this, that many of us are on the danger of stalling on the highway of life as we are running after the, the pursuits that God has called us to because we're ignoring the warning signs. E is not enough. E is empty. We're living <laughs> on the edge and we have no margin for error. <laughs> Our lives are so tightly packed and so, so, so in order that if one thing went wrong, you know, it's like dominoes. It's like you've just stacked them up and everything has to work exactly right. And we've not left ourselves any margin for calamity. Because calamity can come, one thing goes wrong, and everything comes st uh, stumbling down. And you know, this is a thing that happens when you live on reserves. You're like a driver driving on E, in danger of grinding to a halt. <laughs> you know, I found this to be true in almost every sector, that many people today are just surviving. You're just moving, and one little thing happens, and you come tumbling down. So we must build margins in our lives. Now, let me, let's talk about how to build margins. I think this is the most important thing I want to leave you with today. How do you build margins and where do you need to build margins? I'm going to give you three places that you must build margins in your life if you want to succeed well. Bible tells us, put portions aside, not just for the seven days, but put extra aside. Which are those places where you must put extra aside if you want to finish well? The first place is time. Time margins. Time is one of those places where we must learn to build margins. You know, the interesting thing about time is once time passes, it's gone. You can't recover it. Time is what we call an inelastic resource. And as a result, I think that's why we have, we're, so, we're so caught up with issues of time. What's the saying we say time is? Time is money. We say I'm running out of time. This, this thing, it's, it's such a big deal for us. I'm racing against time. Time is this thing that we know it's an elastic. So here's what we do. Because we know there's a limited amount of time, we try and squeeze as much as we can into our lives and into our schedules so that we can get the most out of time. And we don't realize that's actually the wrong thing to do. You see, the problem is 
It's been shown when you pack your schedule so tightly, most people underestimate the time it gets to do a task. Time usually, we, all, we, we usually underestimate by about 30%. And so what happens is you've got, a, you've got your schedule and you've got your meetings, eight to, 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 to 10, and then 10 o'clock, I've got the next meeting, it goes till one, and then one o'clock, I've, uh, I've got my next meeting, and you've, you've just stacked your day back to back. And what we forget is, you know what? One thing goes wrong because you've not left any margin and your whole day is in a mess and it just destroys your day. And so we must learn how to put margins in time because what happens is many times we find ourselves running from one thing to the next and you know you're, you're leaving a meeting at 11.45, your next meeting is across town at 12.15 and you know you have half an hour to get there and it takes you exactly half an hour when there's no traffic. So what happens when some truck has rolled on the road? You're gonna be late, isn't it? And of course, this is how road rage happens. You start kicking people because they're making you late. Actually, they're not making you late. You planned to be late. You left too late to get to that meeting. And what happens is, have you ever found yourself, let, let's just be honest here, we're in church. Have you ever be, found yourself in that situation where you've run from one meeting to the next one and then the next one, and there's a flashing sign in your body telling you it's time to go to the bathroom. And you're doing a presentation and you're wishing you could go to the loo before the next one starts, but there's no time. I'm hearing some nervous laughter here. I shall take that silence to be consent. That you identify with what I'm talking about. That's a life without margins. And I've found myself in that situation, and that's why I can share about it so openly. Uh, we, we live life without margin, and there's no space to be, and you know what ends up happening? We become creative storytellers. Uh-huh. You don't know what I'm talking about. Have you ever been or had, have you ever been in this situation or had somebody in this situation in the bus? telling someone where they are. And where they're saying they are is not where they are. Ah, at you, at you, at you guys have already reached community. Ah, don't worry, I'm already on Gong Road. I'm coming. <laughs> where is that guy at that point? He's not even reached the Goretti corner. But he's telling them creative stories. Why? Because the guy has no margins in his life. Meanwhile, that guy, by the way, is a Mavunite, comes to church, says, oh God, <laughs> hallelujah. What was the song we were singing? You know, he's, he's so praising God. But he's lying, why? Because he has no margins. So how do you build margins and avoid being a creative storyteller? Let me tell you one trick that I was taught by one of my mentors that has been a very useful thing to help me build portions for eight, not just for seven. To have margins in my time. And this is what I learned. I learned plan your day in blocks. Plan your day in blocks. Don't just have, throw everything into your day. Divide your day. This is how you separate and organize. Divide your day. Maybe your first block is from 8.30. Maybe you got to the office at 8. You had a few things to do, but 8.30 to maybe uh, 9.30 or 10. And that's your first block. Then give a space in between that and the next block. So if it was 10, then maybe 10.30 or 10.15 is your next block beginning. And that one goes maybe till around 11.30 or 12. And that's your block number two. Put another space in between. Maybe in your first block, it was time for you to do, to, to do your departmental meeting. Your second block was time to do administration and email and catch up with some of your, your, your correspondence. And maybe some, you've got three very important emails that have to get written. And then your third block, again, give yourself space in between. And maybe your third block starts at about one, uh, about one or just before one after you've come from lunch. And give yourself another block of an hour till two or 2.30. And then give yourself a, th a fourth block till the end of the day. And here's a trick, how you, how you build margins. Number two things. Number one, put space in between. 
Why is that important? Because you can go to the bathroom. Because you can get there on time. Because you can plan to be ahead. You know, one of the things we, one of the little things we say on our staff team, this is one of our little, we call it the 10 minute rule. And the 10 minute rule says this, that 10 minutes to, the, to, to time is on time. That's our rule here. 10 minutes to time is on time. And we say on time. If you told someone you're meeting them at 12 and you show up at 12, that's late. Why is that late? Because when you show up at 12, you have not had time to think. You have not even had, you're just showing up. So first you have to take 10 minutes to cut your breath. Then you start the meeting. So you are late. So we say on time is late. And then we say 10 minutes after time is disrespectful. Because that person also took their time to get to that meeting on time. So this is also, it allows you to get there on time. It's a wonderful thing. And you know when you get there on time, some of you, by the way, when you start getting there on time, everybody will, be, will not be there. Because the people you meet are never on time. So what do you do when that happens? Beautiful thing. I'm there 10 minutes before when you come to meet me. And you know what I'll be doing? Number one, I'll be praying for our meeting and asking God to show me what he wants out of that meeting. Number two, I'll be, I'll be planning my priorities, my takeouts from that meeting. And the beautiful thing is, the people I meet never think like that. So the meeting always achieves what I wanted to achieve. That's how you get ahead in life. You're more prepared than the other guy. Isn't that true? Yeah, you came with a kingdom agenda. The guy had no agenda. You meet what you achieved. What God told you to do, you get done. This is how you get ahead. When you show up in a meeting like this, you have no idea. Life will happen to you. So this is the first thing that happens. You're able to actually plan ahead for what you want in that meeting and to pray for it. But the other thing that happens is that, that creates margin. Only plan and schedule three of those blocks if you've got four blocks. Always leave one block of your day unscheduled in the office. That means you've at least an hour, an hour and a half in the office every day that you don't plan anything for. Why is that a good thing? Because time, you'll always find extra things that were not meant to be interruptions that came into your day and ate your time and that becomes the portion the extra portion for emergencies this is how you begin to manage your time i tell you this when you begin to think this way you find that you're the, the you're, you're the one who actually it's such an amazing leadership thinking you find you become the leader you, leadership is not just something you talk about it's something you practice and this is one of the greatest leadership lessons when you have margins you're able to be always ahead and always thinking and always praying ahead and understanding what God wants you to do. And it helps you to be able to have that margin in your time. I want to move to the, ne to the next one. I'll come back to that one. It's emotional margins. Many people don't think about emotional margins. Let me give you an example of what happened to us. I asked my wife if I could share this story and she gave me her permission to. Seven years ago, my wife and I were running uh, two very successful businesses. Actually, she was the one who was the CEO of both businesses. And she, I mean, they were both doing extremely well. Very, I mean, it was just a nice thing to be running businesses that are doing well. It's, it's very nice, uh, good feeling. Uh, one of them was a video production company. It was run so efficiently. We had 30 projects, just before, we, uh, before, before this story happens, we had 30 projects happen in one month, 30 editing projects. We shot them and edited them in one month, which means one a day. We, had a, we, we were 24 hour economy before Kalonzo even thought about it. Uh, I mean, it was like the, the studio was humming all the time. It was doing extremely well. In addition to that, she was running a bridal fair. And the bridal fair, we had had two very large events, and the second one had been very successful. And by the third one, we knew we're not only just going to break even, we're going to make some significant money. And so we were, it was doing well. But then on the, on the other side of the equation, about a year before that, we had begun something that for me and for her had always been a passion and a dream, uh, something that we knew was our purpose, which was Mavuno Church. And the church had begun to grow. 
and was doing well as well and becoming very demanding. It was like a little baby. We needed to give time to it. But not only did we have the church, we had our own babies. And by that time, my twins were, were about a year old. My oldest was about uh, four years old. And I mean, kids at that age are demanding. And so we'd come home and we'd be so spent and they would want something out of us. And we were living on the edge. We're completely spent. And I remember one time I was just so tired, I just told her I need to go and just take some time for prayer. I took a day off. I went out uh, somewhere really far. She dropped me out, a uh, place where there were no cars, no phones, nothing. Um, but I, I mean, I had my phone, but those, I mean, you, it was just a deserted place. And I wanted to just spend some time in prayer. And then in the middle of that day, she called me. And she was crying. She was sobbing uncontrollably. I mean, she was weeping. I'd never had her cry like that. I mean, it was like, you know, it's a cry that is dignified. <laughs> and then there's that cry of Makamasi. It's just, oh, I mean, she was just really, really crying. And I thought, what's going on, Carol? What's happening? And I kept trying to shout, let me know what's happening. And I was panicking now, because even I was crying, what's wrong? <laughs> and then she hung up. Now, some of you are husbands, you know, you can imagine where I was at that point. Now, I tried to call back. I hadn't charged, I'd forgotten to charge my phone and it blacked out. There was no phone in the whole area. There was no car. I couldn't get out. Can you imagine what the next hour was for me? I mean, I almost lost it. I almost went mad. I was, look, I was walking around just trying to find somebody with a phone. And eventually I found somebody and her phone, she, I mean, she, it wasn't going through. And so I called another friend and he came and picked me up. And he took me to where my wife was. And what I found out had happened is that she had just got a news that her dad had a heart attack. And she had no margins whatsoever for that kind of news. Her life was so thin that she immediately had a breakdown. She just broke down. She couldn't even think. And what happened, unfortunately, because I was in the same situation, I, didn't even, I, was, I couldn't even help her. I was, like an, I was like a baby with her. We were all panicking. Now, the good news and the, the good thing about this story is that dad uh, pulled through, came out of it, was healed. We were so glad. God, God healed him miraculously. And we're excited about that. But after seeing him in hospital, you know what we did? It was such a big warning sign for us. As soon as we reached home, I told her, pack your bags. And we went out for three days. Just the two of us, we left our children with a babysitter. And we stayed for three days in a quiet place, no phones, no TV, nothing. Just the two of us, recovering emotionally, because we knew we had no reserves. After we came back and showed up back home, the first thing we did is we sold our businesses. And we said, you know what, success is not worth the cost. We don't want to lose everything that's important because of chasing this elusive picture of success. Why do I tell this story? Because some of you are there. I see it in your eyes. I see the strained look as you look at one another. I see the look your children give you. You're, you're running so hard. And yes, you're succeeding and looking good, but you're on the verge of breakdown. How do you know that your emotional tank is running low? <laughs> you know what happens? Number one, you have such a short margin. When somebody talks to you at the, at the workplace, you answer them rudely, and then you're shocked that you say those words. And you're like, hey. <laughs> you're like, what just happened? You don't even know what happened. You have no margins. You have no margins. Or you find yourself just becoming policeman at home. You know those parents, you just enter, and it's like, now whose bug is this? What happened to you? Why is your homework? What? 
and your kid brings you a report card and you say, Ati, you got a B. Okay, fine. But uh, you haven't polished your shoes. What's... And your kids are just hiding around you because they know, oh my goodness, this person is not even, they're not safe to be around. Let me tell you what happens when you have a short emotional fuse. By the way, many people don't even know this. This is a point where you're most vulnerable to affairs, for those of you who are married. Because you know, you're so, you're so spent that you have nothing to give your spouse. When you go home, you have nothing to give. And you're so receptive to somebody just pouring something into your emotional tank at work, some affirmation, because you're not getting that. And a lot of people get into affairs because they're emotionally brittle. And so you must replenish your emotional tank. How do you replenish your emotional tank? Here's the thing that I found that helps with this one. This is how you put a potion. Remember we talked about seven potions. You need an eighth potion. This is how you put extras into your tank. What you need to do is you must find out those things in your life that replenish you. What are those things that energize you? What are those things that when you do them, you feel refreshed? You feel they put energy back into your life. It may be, for some of you, it's baking. Some of you, it's washing dishes. By the way, I find this very interesting about Pastor Carol. For her, washing dishes is her thing. I mean, she just goes to the kitchen and she washes a storm up. And after that, and by the way, the people who are like that, after that, you wash those dishes, you come out, you're like, Mother Teresa, you're like, oh, hi, guys. I mean, your kids are like, wow. I mean, it's so nice. Because it's like you've just removed all that stress in that activity. For some guys, it's washing your car. For some of you, it's just hanging out with a friend. Some of you, it's running and exercising. What is that thing that you do when you do it? It just replenishes your spirit. Just tell your neighbor one thing that you do that replenishes your spirit. Some of you don't know, and it's okay. Just say, I don't know. You're so busy, you haven't found out yet, but that's okay. <laughs> what is that thing that replenishes you and replenishes your spirit? <laughs> Some of you, it's reading a book, going to watch a play, doing something creative with your hands, cooking a meal. What is that thing that replenishes you? So this thing that you've just described, it's called a tank filler. That's your tank filler. So find ways to fill your tank every week if you can just be putting those things in. You see, the problem is we're so busy we don't actually understand the car can't run without fuel. So saying I'm too busy to fuel means you're not getting where you're going. <laughs> so fuel. There are other things that you need to understand that are called tank drainers. And tank drainers are those things that just remove emotion out of you, emotional energy out of you. For some of you, it's long meetings. Anybody feeling me on that one? It's like you just come out and you just feel like a piece of tissue paper that has just been, you know, wrong. For some of you, it's certain relationships. There are some people, you see them walking towards you and you just start planning, Whoa, how do I get out of this one? And they don't know it. Then they just, oh, I'm so happy to see you. Oh, my goodness. And all the time you're thinking, how do I get out? I can see you're laughing, but they don't look at that person if they're next to you uh, at this point. What are, <laughs> what, are, what are those things that are tank drainers for you? Well, find those things as well. And you have two things. There's several things you could do with these things. Number one is stop doing them if you can. If you can. Number two is delegate them if you can't stop doing them, if they have to be done. I found a very interesting thing. The things that drain you are not the things that drain your neighbor. That's so weird. I used to feel guilty handing over work to others because I thought if I hate it, this person hates it. Then I began to realize people are different from me. I mean, there are some of you, with all due respect, some of you, 
you love accounts, you love numbers, you just love crunching numbers, looking at spreadsheets, you just feel, ah, oh, praise God. Oh, my goodness. I'm like, that is so weird. But I thank God there are people like you. I'll give you my, just do the numbers for me, just come and tell me what it says, you know. I'm so happy there are people I can pass things that I don't enjoy and they enjoy them. So delegate where you can. Pass on work that others don't like and maybe take something from them that you enjoy, that they don't enjoy. But the third thing is that sometimes you can't not do it and you cannot delegate. It's your job, it has to get done. So what your other option is, is yes, do it. Do it in the time it's meant to be done, but also plan to get some emotional filler that day or that week that replenishes what you're losing. Make sure you do it. It's important for your long-term finish. Now, there's some things, by the way, you need to be careful. Not everything that looks like an emotional filler is a filler. Some of them actually are drainers in disguise. Ever had that experience where you said, my goodness, this weekend I just want to watch a series. Jack is back. I just want to watch some, some, some Jack Bauer or some, some TV series. And you sit there and you watch, and after about several episodes, by the time you're done, by the way, you feel more tired in need of another weekend after the weekend is over. That is actually an emotional drainer, not an emotional filler. And so you need to be careful because often the media, internet, social media, sometimes they have that effect as well. You do it over a long time and instead of feeling replenished, you actually drain yourself. And so look out for those things that drain you. Now, I'm going to move to the, third, the last one. I could say a lot more, but let me move to the last one. This is financial margins. We must have financial margins. This is a very important one because no realm gives people more pressure, more stress than finances that are out of control. <laughs> when you don't have your finances in control, when you're living on the edge, the margin of finances, you have broken relationships, many marital issues, ulcers, sleepless nights, nightmares, stress, especially when the unexpected happens or is about to happen. Many people have learned the fine art of living beyond their means. You've learned how to cruise until the end of the month, just making it before your next salary comes in. Praise the Lord. If that salary was delayed by three days, you'd be dead. You'd have no house, nothing. You've just learned to live from hand to mouth. Many of us regularly spent 100% or close to that of what we earn. And if we lost our job today, we'd be destitute because we have nothing. I've seen people, by the way, who are earning close to a million shillings a month lose their job and become destitute because they learned the art of just spending everything as it came. And they found they had nothing that they could live on after that time went. And so Solomon is saying, and this is really the context of our passage, he's saying you must create financial reserves. How do you create financial reserves? One of the biggest ones, and we've talked about this uh, on this pulpit, I know we'll talk about it again when we do our financial series. You must have, you must build your emergency fund. You must build an emergency fund. What's an emergency fund? An emergency fund is three to six months of expenses that has been put aside for a rainy day. What are your month expenses? Count your rent, count your transport, count your food, count whatever it is you spend per month on clothing, whatever it is. Tabulate that and then have a savings account that has at least three times that or six times that. Why three or six? Because for some of you, <laughs> You have children, you don't have enough health insurance, you are married and only one of you is working. If that's a situation, you need six months because you're, higher, you're at a higher risk. Some of you, you're very young, your parents are uh, well off and they can look after you in case of any emergency, hallelujah, have three months. 
Uh, maybe you shouldn't even have any because you'll inherit it, isn't it? Don't think like that. That's, that's wrong thinking. That's not biblical at all. <laughs> you don't live to inherit your father's wealth. You create wealth for the next generation. Amen? This is what righteous people do. That's what the Bible says. And so you need to have, if, you, if you're younger, you have less risk, have three months. But you must set aside an emergency fund uh, for yourself. Now, if you don't already have an emergency fund, I'm going to tell you this is not an easy thing to do. It takes discipline. It takes time. But the way to do it is just to start. Some of you, by the way, it might even be as easy as saying, I'm going to put 100 shillings into Mshwari after this. And it's going to become my savings. The only problem with that is sometimes that's too easy to get out. So my encouragement is start, start, start this month. Uh, if you haven't done it already, find an account. Put some money into it and start building. You don't have to have all of it at once. Start building towards it. The place where you have three months at least expense to start with. Aim for one month first as a small limited goal and then grow it from there. You'd be amazed. It doesn't look like it's going to grow, but the most important thing is you get into the habit of always replenishing it. And what happens when they imagine, you know, it's such a beautiful thing. Let me tell you this. There's such ease in knowing some unexpected thing happened. Somebody got sick. Some ha something happened at work and you weren't able to be paid on time. Something went wrong somewhere. But to know, you know what? That's okay. When they pay me, they'll pay me. It's a beautiful thing. I, 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 I once in a while, I, 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 there's, a, there's an article that I write for a newspaper. And they pay me a little something to do it. It's, it's a little stipend they give me. And the, the, the HR manager of that church comes, of that newspaper comes to this church. And one time, after six months of writing, she said, Pastor M, we're so excited about your column. I hope we've been paying you. And I said, hmm, I'm not sure. I said, what? You've not checked. I said, well, I trust you. I know you'll pay me. She said, you're the first person who's ever said that. Because everybody else checks at the end of the month to see if our check has come. I said, you know what, if you haven't paid me, I'll still follow you at the end of the year when I check my accounts. She said, you must be very rich. I said, I'm not living for your check. This is where you want to be, isn't it? You're not a place where you're living for a check. Even your paycheck should, you should come to the place where if your boss pays you on time, that's a good thing. If they don't pay you, you'll catch up, you'll catch up with them one day. It's not what you're living for. That end of the month isn't what you're living for. You're, you don't start breathing. You know, around this time of the month, some guys are not breathing. Because <laughs> every breath takes too much energy out of them. So they have to breathe a bit, like twice, like, like half the, so they don't burn up too much energy because there's too much month left. That's bondage. You never want to be there. You must have financial margin. And what happens when the emergency comes and you blow it? Because sometimes it will happen. Then don't worry. That's why it was there. You start the process all over again and you build it up. Now, I have to say this. You must know. Get an account that you can't access too easily, especially if you have financial problems. If you're one of those people who's indisciplined, uh, you don't, don't have a credit card or a, or a debit card for that account. Don't even have a checkbook if you can't control yourself. Put, get a bank downtown where there are lines. So that it has to be an emergency to get that. And you must define an emergency for yourself. I have to say this. When a woman comes to your office with shoes and tells you these are the last ones, that is not an emergency. It doesn't qualify. So define the emergency and only use that resource as your emergency fund. Now, the most dangerous thing about a sermon like this, it's so practical. And it's so easy for you to say, my goodness, I love Pastor M. That is such a practical message. I love that message. I love Mavuno for practical messages. And just talk like that and do nothing. It's a very dangerous message. So I want to actually help you 
by giving you some exercises that we can all practice this week. Uh, so there's more homework. And we're going to call this hashtag margins. For those of you who did not practice last week's homework, you have two times, last week's and this time and this week's as well. So, so you, this stuff is it's life changing. So, so let's 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 note down three things I want you to do this week to practice having margins. Number one, be early. Be early. What does that mean? This whole week, for every single appointment that you plan, every single meeting in the office or outside the office, plan to be at least 10 minutes early. And be there seated before the people come in. Just plan ahead. Some people are going to be shocked when they see you. Some of you, by the way, people think there's something wrong uh, <laughs> when you show up. But that's okay. Uh, be on time. Just plan to be 10 minutes. And what, what the, the power of this is, if you, you actually have to plan ahead to do that. The only way your life will work if you do that is you, if you plan your day early in the morning and you plan through your appointments and you say, I'm going to be there 10 minutes early. It means I get into my car or I get to the matatu 10 minutes before. And you'll be amazed when you begin to do that. So this week, how many are, how many are going to struggle with that one? It's going to, let's be real, yeah, this is going to be a hard one for me. Yeah, this is going to be a hard one for me, but you're going to thank me. Uh, this is going to be really something good for you to put those margins into your time. So be early. Number one is be early. Number two, begin your emergency fund. Begin your emergency fund. How many people already have an emergency fund? Praise God for you. One, two, three. Okay. <laughs> Alright. Okay. I see I've got a lot of work to do as a pastor here. So begin your emergency fund. Again, I'm really happy you're hearing this message now. It's almost end of month. You can begin to plan for it. For some of you, it's easy for you to put that aside right away. By the way, don't invest your emergency fund in land or in something that is, un is hard to get because an emergency means you need it immediately. And so put it somewhere in an account, something liquid. And this month, if you, I want to challenge you this week to plan that because by the time your salary comes, that account needs to be ready. So put in the groundwork this week to begin your emergency fund. And if in the next two weeks, after you, uh, in the time you're paid, you're able to put the first seed into that, then I'll then you consider yourself to have succeeded in this next one. Some of you just begin, you can even begin with Mshuari if that's what, what is easiest for you. But just begin your emergency fund. And then numbers, so the first one was what? Be early. Second one? Begin your emergency fund. Number three, boost your energy. You're going to enjoy this one, boost your energy. What does that mean? It means you talked about the things that really energize you this week plan to do at least one of them. In fact, if you could do two or three of them, even better. But plan to do at least one of those things that energize you. If that thing that energizes you costs a lot of money and you have no emergency fund, find a cheaper way to do it. Or find another thing. Uh, if it's something that you can even share with somebody, your spouse or friend, even better. But boost, boost your energy. If it's running and you've not been running for a while, if it's cooking, you've not done that for a while, those things, that, if it's playing your, your instrument, whatever it is, do that creative thing that energizes you. And this week, let's all boost our energy, begin to sow into that emotional fund. And by the way, this will only work well if you continue to unplug. Because if you're so busy that you're, not, you're coming home very late at night, you will not have time to do these things. Now, I want to conclude. Next week, I'm going to find out how many of you did your homework, so please do it. I want to conclude. Um, Remember, for those of you who are thinking about the, I was told to remind you about the land, 
Um, the, the, those guys are going to be there. Some of you paid your deposits. If you have any questions, by the way, about Fearless Acres, make sure you ask before you go. Uh, it's, a, it's an incredible opportunity. So just, just, just pass there. If you have no money for an emergency fund, don't pass there. <laughs> Let me just say that as your pastor. I don't want you broke. I'm trying to help you become wealthy, not broke. So, so let me just clarify that. But if you're at the place where you're saying, I need to start investing, then you need to pass there. Now, okay, let me say this as well. After this, go on, go on, go online. Let's, let's begin to share. If you're struggling with this, I loved the way Jerry shared, because if you're struggling, somebody else will be encouraged by your struggle. So just, just go online after this and just write, what is God saying to you? Because I know it to be an encouragement to others. But I want to conclude. And I want to conclude with a story. And it's a story about the Pope's driver. The Pope needed a new driver. And because he was a Pope, they had to get the best driver in the world. So they got the best drivers in the world to apply, and they began a, a stringent uh, uh, interviewing process. And they got the top three candidates shortlisted. And on the last day, the Cardinals were there, and they were doing the interviews. And for each of the three drivers, they had one question at the end that they asked. And this question was going to determine who got the job. And what they did for that question is they showed a picture. And it was a picture of a, of a very treacherous hill with very sharp corners and a cliff on the side. And they gave the question. They said, the Pope is late for his appointment. He needs to get into his plane and fly. And it's a life and death appointment. How fast can you drive him all the way down? And how close, actually asked, how close to the edge can you drive while going at top speed to get him to his plane on time. In other words, how safe a driver are you? First guy said, you know what? I hate to brag, but I'm a Formula One racer. And I, can, I tell you what, I'm the right guy for this job. I can take that guy within half an inch of that cliff, and we will never go down. I've done this all my life. I've got this covered. He left. The next guy was asked. He said, look, this...